Welcome to the SDA Housing Podcast, brought to you by NDIS Property Australia. Before starting this episode, we need to provide a general disclaimer. Information contained in this podcast is general in nature only. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. You need to consider your financial situation and needs before making any decisions based on the information in this podcast. And you should consider seeking independent and professional advice for your personal circumstances. All right, let's begin. Hello, everybody. My name is Min, and I'm your host from Enders Prop Australia. And you're listening to the SDA Housing Podcast, a show that explains, highlights, and guides, and brings awareness on all things SDA in this ever-changing NDIS world. Today, we have two very special guest speakers, Cheryl and Chris Joseph. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi, Min. How are you? Thank you, darling and mate, buddy. How are you? I mean, I've been watching you guys for the last three years. I'm really, really excited to talk to you because I met you, Cheryl, a long time ago when you were just breaking out on your own and set up your own business. And uh, you and Chris had a lovely story. And uh, I think you've come a very long, far, a long, very long journey now to get to where you are now. And um, I'd like to introduce you guys as guest speakers to our audience about your business, your brand, what you're doing around Australia, what you're doing locally here in South East Queensland, and just understand more about how, how easy it is to become a SIL provider in this endos world. Yeah. Cheryl, Joseph, take it away. Yeah. So, God, it's been, what, nearly three years since Chris and I started this. I still remember the day I first met you, Min, and it seems so long ago with Carway. Look, I think from where we were to where we are now, a lot of things have changed in the NDIS. We've also changed, I guess, as an mission, and we have had to make some adjustment and changes to how we deliver our housing model to our participants. You know, we've we've grown, I guess, along the way. We've learned what not to do and what to do and how to do it better. You know, we have grown quite significantly, but I guess with the way the NDIS is at the moment, you know, we've had to put a bit of, I guess, a stop to our growth and venture into, I guess, other things just so that we're doing what we're doing, we can continue to do it better as well. And I guess over to Perth, that's been a bit of a challenge for us because I guess Perth is, you know, we're not there and having to oversee things from afar is, is obviously a bit of a challenge and finding the right people to do things for us. Gotcha. So let me ask you a question. When I first met you, you were both working for the same organisation. How how were things back then when as employees for an organisation or as, as, you know, working for someone else to where you are now where you run the show? I mean, was there a big difference in the way the business is run and how you bring in participants for your for your provider business? It's always, I guess, different when it is your own business. Being a director, it's definitely there's a lot of challenges that comes with it in comparison to working for, for somebody else. I guess this is, you know, however, where where I was prior to Aspire Hub, I did treat it as my own, but I actually didn't see what it was like in the background, if you know what I mean. You know, you're constantly thinking about how you can do things better, what else you've got to do. There's always so much going on. It's a 24-hour job being a director, I guess, in comparison to just working for somebody else. It, it was challenging as well. I put in a lot of hours 
Chris put in a lot of hours because we wanted, you know, that organization to succeed because we were very invested in it. But I guess as as a director and owning our own business, it is completely different. And the IETS has also changed all years on. It's also changed. So we also have to, I guess, change along the way um, as a director. Gotcha. So, Chris, um, how is the role different between you and, Sh- and Cheryl as, as owners of a business? What do you do when, different from Cheryl? Well, I mean, Cheryl looks after the entire support services within Aspire Hub. So, in other words, she looks after the operational side of things from intake to customer satisfaction, you know, the list goes on. My my passion in the in the business space is around the compliance, around evolving with the NDIS. As NDIS evolves, new strategies need to be implemented and, you know, ensuring that the uh, the company and its values aligns with what the NDIS requires as well. We are also working on other things, you know, to assist our staff to to be better workers you know there's there's a lot of lot of providers out there everyone thinks they can come in and and become an NDIS provider but for us it's all about retention as well and ensuring that our clients receive you know the best the best services that they're paying for so look in a nutshell you know my my focus is retention staffing retention client satisfaction compliance making sure everything is you know we're basically in line with the NDIS regulation that's fantastic. Now, in three years, you've gone from nothing to something big. Where, where are you with your national presence in Australia? You're in Queensland, obviously, and now Perth, WA. Is anywhere else or those two states only? We're, we're focusing on Perth at the moment because, you know, there's been so obviously along the way built. So at the moment, we really want to focus on Perth and get it to that point where we're actually happy with to running. Participants are happy. The quality is there. So finding the right people. However, we are looking into venturing into other region. So we were thinking about South Australia. Yeah. So I mean, yes. So at the moment, we are what we are trying to establish here is a, you know, basically to to replicate our process we have in Queensland because it's working very well to replicate that in Perth and our goal. Uh, early next year is to venture into South Australia and also Victoria. So why Perth of all places as your next step from Queensland? Well, because Perth was the uh, the last state to to you know to take on the NDIS basically, and from feedback from you know talking to other providers and stuff, they didn't have a lot of providers there. They didn't have their knowledge around the NDIS was quite minimal. And myself and the general manager at the time decided to put that to the test and we took a trip to Perth and we, we did go and, and, and do a few support coordinators where the, their knowledge is quite minimal. They didn't know what certain things were. So that was one of the reasons why we decided to go to Perth so we could establish our footprint there and also educate the community so they understand what the NDS is all about. Can I agree with you? <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've been in Perth ourselves for the last year and a half or so, and the whole NDIS community there, they're new to the NDIS because they were rolled out last, but you know, they're just, they're just needing and wanting and desiring more 
knowledge and experience from the east coast of Australia. And what I find from a NOS perspective, that a lot of the local builders and developers and SIL providers and SDA providers, they just don't understand it. We've been through so much on the East Coast having had the NDIS for the last four, five or six years now on the East Coast, and they're only one year in. So they haven't been through the mistakes that we've seen in our local areas from, <clears throat> from a construction development, care provision, SDA services point of view. We, we, we've seen a lot of mistakes. We've seen a lot of activity on the East Coast, whereas over there, they're all fresh off the boat, if you want to call it that, you know? And sometimes when you when they hear something, your opinion, they actually get really defensive about it and think it can't be right, but it's only because they don't know what they don't know. That's the thing. And that's my opinion to you both. Do you agree with that, Chris, Cheryl? No, I do agree with that, with you, Min, because I, I was speaking to a support coordinator from Perth. She actually reached out to me and she asked if we could be actually speak like what you said, they don't know what they don't know. There's a lot of different information that they're actually being given and they're not accurate or people just don't know the information, especially families. So they've actually asked us if we could actually speak in one of their network events and have the Q&A forum to give them some of our information. And not that long ago, we were at the Perth Expo and I felt like we were back to the first expo that we attended here in Queensland where a lot of people were saying, I'm about to build an SDA house. Would you be interested? And there was about 10 people that came up to us and I gave them, I guess, some information around what we've seen here in Queensland. And you're right. They weren't very happy with that information because they don't know what they don't know. And, you know, they can take that on or they can just keep doing what they're doing but yeah they just it's just not there yet and i'm sure they'll catch up yeah they'll, they'll learn from their mistake we wish them all the best yes <laughs> but anyway moving on <laughs> moving on so what is the secret source to aspire hubs success please tell us what it is is it ketchup is it barbecue sauce or is there a bit of a bit of a bit of a chili in the in the food what, what are you guys eating and drinking that makes you guys so successful <laughs> Me and it's Cheryl. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's the secret sauce. I don't know. What do you think it is, Chris? I think, I mean, just going back, you know, uh, the last few questions, journey in the past, you know, we've been with other providers. And although we were employees at the time for these other large providers, we identified a lot of gaps in their processes and, and how they do things, which is one of the reasons uh, we decided to uh, to create Aspire Hub because we've identified that and we came up with a game plan to be like, you know what, these guys are making these mistakes or there are gaps in these in, in how they do things. How about we create something and bridge those gaps? So, you know, we have a fantastic team from, you know, from our COO all the way to our team leaders where they are genuinely passionate about assisting clients, assisting their participants to, to receive the bit. You know, there are, there are critical things in between such as compliance and, you know, even with a registered nurse where she looks at oversees the, the medical compliance side of things. It basically comes back down to empowering your team to do what they need to do. I also think, I mean, we learn from our mistakes over the years that we've been around. We, we learn from our mistakes and we try not to obviously continue making those mistakes, ways to, I guess, better ourselves and better the organization to be able to support our participants and own it, those mistakes and yeah, learn from it. 
You know, I totally agree. Couldn't couldn't disagree any further. Now, as you as a business owner myself, the success of any business is your your team. How how big has your team grown the last few years? I mean, was it hard in the first year, and and what are the numbers now, and and how many how many support workers, how many in the office? Where do you see yourselves going in the next year or two years with your team itself? And you said you put a bit of a pause for now. So what what is the team structure composed of at the moment? Well, when Aspire's team was just Cheryl and I, we started off doing support work. We started off, you know, taking clients out to the community and stuff like that. And because of our interaction and engagement with these participants and the support coordinators, you know, they just wanted us to assist other people as well, which is how it all, you know, we started to grow. At the moment, we're sitting uh, close to 400 staff. That's Queensland and Western Australia. The structure at the moment is we have a COO, CFO, CPO, and then we have our uh, support managers that oversees a cluster of houses. And re- and then we also have team leaders who oversee certain houses. And then we have acts that looks after the day-to-day operations within the house itself. We have a compliance officer. We, yes. We also have supplementary staff such as, you know, our compliance. We have a registered nurse. Training officers. Training officers. What we do is we inject the funds back into the organization to upscale and you know the overall picture here is so that our clients will receive the best service that they need in terms of growth we don't know you know we're taking it day by day we're just seeing what the market needs what what people what type of services the you know participants require and we assess from there and we we implement if we need to that's a fantastic story chris so if you have four part-time and casuals, I would assume that you have, what, six, seven hundred participants, was my guess. What's the rough number there? No, because most majority of our participants are actually SIL and ILO. So we don't do a lot of in-home supports. I can't even tell you exactly how many participants we have, to be honest with you, Min. Our COO is the person to ask uh, that question. It'd be at least over 400, right? At least. No, 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 not even that, no, because it, it's still, it's a bit different. Yeah. I guess if you're doing in-home and community access, you would have a lot of participants. Look, probably just off the top of my head, I'd say. Probably about 70. 70 participants. Yeah. And like what I said, 90% of them, of those participants are still homes. Sorry, in the 24-7 supports. Cheryl, can you explain to our listeners the difference between you said it's not still in homes. It's explain the the terminology of, of your model to other to other models out there. Yeah, so still is the support in the building, which is the twenty four seven supports. They live in our one of our accommodations, and they're being supported by what five lifestyle assistants rotating within that you know seven days seven day week. We have what we call. ILO, which is the independent living option. They're only supported so many hours of the day. We do ask for that minimum of 25 hours. However, some participants require more, are funded more than that. But then we also have what we call, because they're not qualified for in-home, it's that drop-in support. So they actually live in our one of our houses and they're being supported, you know, so many hours of the day because they don't qualify the full-time, the 24-7 supports. That's not necessarily the independent living options. That's just funding under their thing, and they are living in our in one of our houses. So we are providing housing 
as well as supports. The in-home support is more around our staff going into their home and they're providing the supports within their home. It's something that we don't do a lot of. However, there's obviously a need there. There's also providers out there who are providing that in-home support. So we have a few of those participants. And then we also have community access, which is, you know, taking participants out in the community. So they're either they're either living in their own houses or they're living with us. That's another thing that we we provide too. But again, not something that we do a lot of, just, you know, very rarely we do that. Gotcha. Thank you so much for the explanation. I'm sure our, our audience is, is spinning in their minds what, what all this means, all the acronyms inside the civil world. That's fine. So where where to from here with the business where it is now? What's your hope and vision in the long term with what you want to achieve in terms of the model itself? Not talk about location, talk about the model, the staff model, the staffing model, the different type of participants. How do you th- how do you see things change or evolving from here? Yeah. So for us as teaming. You've probably seen those studio apartments that we're launching. We've launched two this year. Casha Ridge, yes. Yeah. So that model seems to be something that is working, not necessarily for us, but for our participants. What we're actually seeing, and it actually blew my mind when I opened Dara, the amount of younger people with disabilities coming to view the property, saying to me that they are either about to become homeless or are homeless, currently homeless, couch surfing, needing a house and only needing limited amount of support. So it seems like our model is heading towards that way. We have participants living in there that are only needing so many hours of support and participants are living in there with 24 hours support, which is working for everyone because you know, we also offer that concierge model. We're inclining to go towards that way, working with builders and investors to actually open up more and more of those housing because they're also affordable housing. You know, we highly subsidize participants who are under the age of 21. We highly subsidize the rent. And for anyone that's over the age of 21, they do get the full pension and we only charge them a small portion of their, of their pension. So it is affordable housing as well for them because they have their own little units. It also allows them to become more independent or continue that independence and just needing that, you know, a little bit of supports to come in for for things that they and they need help with. So we're inclining to go down that way. We do have a few more of those units opening up sort of end of the year, early next year. So yeah, so that's pretty much where where we're heading. And for me, Min, I've always wanted one of those dang social enterprise. So we're actually looking towards that as well. So we're about to open up our home in Beanley. But hey, watch that space. That one's not just going to be just a day program. It's going to evolve from a day program to other things. Wow. Can't wait. Can't wait to hear more about that. When do you think they'll be ready, this, this hub location? So we're hoping to open next week. We are working towards, you know, like a trial day where participants can just come and have a look, have a look at the hub, try some, you know, programs. We've even got a hairdressing studio, free haircuts on the day. So we'll start off with that in Queensland and then we'll take it over to WA. So if it seems like Queensland is our trial and then whatever works here, we'll take it over to WA and tweak it to once over there. So for me, it's about social enterprise. It's about making friendship, having fun, getting themselves out there and trying different things and learning skills. 
It's always good to see and hear about small businesses providing support and guidance and mentorship to participants in the community, not just SDA, but still participants as well. And um, businesses like yours who, who focus on the needs of the of the participants in the community, which is very, very important. You know, as I keep on saying on the podcast, investors and everyone else, builders and developers, should think about outcome, not income. Outcome for participants, not income for their for their return. Yeah. Yes. You coming across many investors or builders or developers who wanna contribute to that kind of product, property product for the for the market with whereby Providers like yours are keen to work in collaboration together with? Oh, absolutely. There's there's actually, and I, I never knew this until we went to your apartments, there are actually a lot of investors and builders working together to ensure that there are houses like this that are affordable. So when they first thought about this idea, you know, they were targeting uni students. And here comes the NDIS and here comes providers like us who, you know, we think that these models, they're amazing because it is affordable. It's also a chance where participants can live in their own space and not have to always share because there are others out, other participants out there who don't want to share. But also at the same time, you know, there are participants who would prefer to share and live in a normal house. But it, yeah, it's amazing that there are a lot of investors that are actually you know, ensuring that this kind of housing will continue to be built so that we can act, they can actually provide housing for people with disabilities. Gotcha. Are you finding that you're turning away participants who are coming to ask if they can be looked after by Aspire Hub? I mean, I never say no to anyone, to be honest with you. If I have the opportunity to house, you know, to give housing to everyone, I will. That's, I guess, my down point. <laughs> However, we have in collaboration, we have had to say no. It's more around safety. It's more around safety and also around how we're able to support somebody. If we know we can't, we will definitely say no. And if we know it's not safe, say no. However, if there's no huge barriers in place, we will definitely give them um, housing. So, yeah. Totally agree and totally understand. Chris, Cheryl, please keep us in the back of your mind. We're doing a lot of work in, in Perth ourselves in the terms of delivery of housing in the in the Perth market. But we're also doing a lot more in South East Queensland now as well. So we should catch up more often, at least once every two months or so to catch up for, for coffee or, or lunch and talk about how we can introduce you to our network of builders and developers and investors who may want to to not just SDA housing, but SIL housing and ILO housing and all that kind of stuff. So let's collaborate more in, in the long term and let's see how we can introduce more people to you. Now, on your website, do you have videos and photos of this Dara and Acacia Ridge product on there? It's only a photo of the front. There's not necessarily photos of the inside of the house. However, it is available if if anyone ever needs it and wants it. Are there, are there videos on on your social media of these two? I believe there is. Yeah, on Facebook, there is a video of the Dara property. It's very, very similar concept, more of a two-story property, but it's very similar. Okay, well, maybe we can get um, the photos and videos on your social media to link it in the description of this podcast episode to, for people to see as well. Yeah, that'd be easy. Chris, Cheryl, any words of advice from you guys three years in to anyone else about becoming or, or, or grading a care provider business for the community? What words of advice do you have for them out there if they're thinking about this? That's a good question. I think 
for me, it's before you open up a SEAL home, actually getting to know what the requirements are, compliance, you know, the documentation, what training staff need, what the partic- based on the what participants' needs are. Because sometimes, and I hope I don't, this doesn't come across rude or anything, I guess sometimes it's easy, some people think that it's easy to just open up a house and then bring participants in. It's not just about that. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's not just moving somebody else, someone in there and think that that's, there's so much work attached to that. So it's before you open up a house, know what the processes are, know what the needs are, know what the participants' needs are and go from there and take it slow. I think we went, you know, gang-ho there for a little bit. So take it slow, one step at a time, really. What about you, Chris? I think, you know, they need to be in it for the right reasons. Their values need to align with community services. They can't look at it like, oh, yeah, you know, this is an opportunity to come in here and make a quick dollar and stuff like that because at the end of the day, that's where the focus is. It's not the clients, it's the money. So they're going to face challenges, but, you know, it, it basically comes back down to their values and if they're in there for the right reasons. Like what Cheryl mentioned earlier, it's not a it's not a walk in the park running a SIL company. There is a lot of work involved in terms of setup, compliance, everything. So it is quite disappointing, you know, to see out there that there are a lot of providers, but they're in it for the wrong reasons. No, I... I totally agree with that as well. I mean, my advice to anyone out there is if you are a SIL provider, stay in your lane. Be good at that. If that's, if that's your, your line of work, then be good at that. Absolutely. Don't think, about, don't think about being an SDA provider and an investor and a developer and, and something else. Just, just do one thing and one thing only and be good at it because at the end of the day, your customers are the participants and they, 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 they give their entire life to you, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and you, you owe them that kind of respect because they are your customer, your number one customer. And from that, by doing the right thing by them and the community, then word of mouth referrals will come to your way and, and then you'll grow your business. So that's that's my advice to any support worker thinking about doing a care business in the future. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Cheryl, Chris, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and our listeners. I'll put your link to your website and maybe your social media to the links to the bottom of our description. And I look forward to seeing you more at all the expos coming up around Brisbane and around around the country. I think you, there's no more way to go to you're really Your focus really is Queensland and Western Australia for now. But maybe next year we'll see you at the Adelaide event as well, yeah. Yeah, no, you never know from our men. We could, yeah, we might be there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris, Cheryl. Good luck for everything ahead. Thank honey. you, man. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you are subscribed and following us so you can keep in the loop with all of our upcoming episodes. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating, a written review, and to share this podcast with those that could benefit. Until next time, catch you on the next episode.